Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, before I start, I want to say that cedar fever is real. <laughs> and I've been suffering from it in Austin all week long. And you can still hear a little bit about it. So when you're praying right now, pray for me <laughs> to not lose my voice and to not go into a coffin jag, okay? And we'll get through this together. Well, um, <clears throat> today you have just heard what Timothy W. Ross calls the toughest psalm. Others have called it the darkest psalm. It is so dark that some believe that it should not be preached or read in church. Still, if that's the case, we must wonder why those who first put the Bible together didn't leave it out. And all the transcripts, the transcribers of Scripture that made beautiful covers and beautiful, colorful illustrations, they could have just skipped over this one. But they didn't. And all the subsequent biblical editors and translators, well, why didn't they just edit it a little bit? They could have left out those last two lines. And we wouldn't have missed it. If there ever was an honest-to-God psalm, however, if there ever was a talking back to God, which, by the way, we all do, this is it. This is a psalm that is gut-wrenchingly honest and is talking back to God, bearing one's soul, one's pain, one's heartache to God. And so maybe there's a reason, many reasons, why this psalm is still there and why we hear it today. It's called a psalm of communal lament. So th this isn't just a personal lament. This is a whole people lamenting. They've all been through it together. And so we hear the heartache of a nation. This psalm reflects the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 before the Common Era, at the hands of the Babylonian Empire, a war machine. And you know what they did. They destroyed the temple, and then they hauled everybody off. I mean, imagine the fear that must have gripped them when they heard that Nebuchadnezzar's war machine was outside their gates. Imagine hearing the city gates clang shut for, and, and how the people's stomachs must have knotted up as food and water and supplies became more valuable than gold. Imagine the terror that gripped the citizens' hearts as guards on the walls hurl stones and arrows and anything they could get their hands on to fend off their attackers. 
Imagine the raw panic that broke out when they entered the gates and breached the walls and there was nowhere to run. Imagine the sick hopelessness that overtook husbands and wives who knew what was about to happen to their spouses and their children. Imagine the terror on the day the city and the temple burned to the ground. Of course, we don't have to imagine it, do we? It's in our news broadcasts. I mean, it's in our social media feeds. The interview with the man that was following his family on his phone and then saw their picture where they had all been killed, his entire family. We don't have to wonder about the fears and the heartaches and the sorrows and the disappointments because it's right there for us to see. And it's almost as if this psalm and its reflection is, is telling this history, right? I mean, the same kinds of things that the people of Israel went through. And, and we learned just this week that a whole group of people have been taken out of their country and into Russia. And all their documents have been taken away from them. Passports, all their documents. This same horror is being played out right now. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that they would say, I, I want them to suffer too. I want them to have happened to them what has happened to my children, right? The anger, the frustration, the fear, it's legitimate. And that's why I think this psalm remains that allows us to remember. Of course, we still have to ask, why is this psalm right in the middle of the beautiful psalms? You know? I mean, aren't the psalms designed to Make us lie down in green pastures. Lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come? This psalm is a howl of a traumatized people who have just suffered destruction. It is a psalm filled with sorrow and tears and anger and hatred. It's a way... <coughs> you better be praying here. It is the wail of a defeated people, of people saying, you have done the unspeakable to us. Of course, we've heard those songs sung like that too, by the Ukrainian people. And so we might say, well, why do we read a psalm like this? What redeeming value can be found in reading this psalm? It just takes us back to a bad place. It, these images fly through our heads as we hear it. Where is any redeeming value? I think, I think it tells us something very important about the Word of God. You see, Scripture is a very sacred thing. It's inspired by God. It's inspired by relationship with God. But it's also very human. Scripture is a very human thing. 
written by people like you and me. And these prayers and songs were written by people who knew what it feels like to have their prayers go unanswered and what it feels like to be abandoned by God. And so as we read this psalm and as we reflect on the people of Israel and when we think about the Ukrainian people and, and all their fears and their sorrows, it teaches us, it teaches us what empathy means, what sympathy means. It softens our hearts for the siblings in our world who are suffering. What's interesting about today is that on this third Sunday of Lent, we, if we were reading the gospel, which Nan read the first lesson that reflected on the gospel reading, we hear a really odd story about a couple of news reports that are circulating around Palestine and Jerusalem about that the disciples want to know about. You know, it's, it's that, well, Pilate killed some people and mixed their blood with the sacrifices in the temple, and that's just wrong. And then, and then a tower fell on 18 people. And, and Jesus asked the disciples about this, and, and he asked, well, so do you think they're worse sinners because they died that way, because those things were done? Well, no, Jesus says, no. They're not worse sinners. But you know what? If you listen to the news reports today, and if you listen carefully, there will be people who say, well, you know, maybe they in Ukraine deserve this. And Jesus says no. People live and people die. And some by natural disaster and natural causes and some by human disaster and human causes. But nobody's a worse sinner than the other. Let's be clear about that. We all do it. <laughs> we all have our own things. So let's not go making ourselves saints and them sinners. And then Jesus tells this odd story about a fig tree that doesn't produce fruit. And the owner says, cut it down. It's been here a year and produced fruit. Cut it down. But did you know, in the laws of Israel, Trees are protected. Fig trees and other fruit-producing trees are protected. It's, <laughs> it's called orla, and it forbids eating the fruit of newly planted trees during their first three years of life. In Leviticus, when you come into the land and plant all kinds of trees for food, then you shall regard their fruit as forbidden. Only in the fifth year may you eat of their fruit, that their yield may be increased for you. I am the Lord your God. You know, um, 
Diana Butler Bass said that this reading of the big tree that doesn't produce fruit and the owner wants to cut it down, the gardener says, no, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's give it a little time. Let me dig around it a little bit. Let me give it a little fig food. Let me see if I can get it to produce fruit. And if, and if it doesn't, well, then you can cut it down, but let me see what I can do. And a lot of people want to say that the owner is God and Jesus is the gardener. <laughs> Diana Butler Bass says, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous because God doesn't work that way. The owner is Caesar. The owner is Caesar. And Rome, who will cut down anything in their path to have more, more power, more wealth, take everybody out. And the gardener says, no, wait a minute. There's fruit here. And so Jesus, in all this talking with the disciples about, about all these odd things that are odd to us, really wants to say, you know, how about trying repenting? All of us. Which means have a change of mind. Have a change of heart. Have a change of vision. Change your heart and mind and soul. Awaken. This is how God works. That we're beloved. And those over there are beloved. And as hard as it is for us to say, Russia is beloved. <laughs> and the Ukrainians and the Polish are beloved. And the Belarusians, or whatever they're called, are beloved. But awaken to this reality. We must awaken. We must awaken. Dinah Butler Bass says that a lot of Christians want to blame others with these stories, with this psalm, with these stories of Jesus. A challenge for us today is to be honest with God about where we are, how we see the world, and to talk to God, talk back to God if necessary. Psalm 137 in today's gospel reading once again says that there is a choice to be made. Are we going to belong to Caesar? Or are we going to belong to God? And will we be governed by darkness? Or will we be governed by light? And so what are we to do? Allowing the Psalms to find a place among us helps us acknowledge that the darkness around us and the darkness within us is real. And yet, we are called to figure out how to be in this world, how to be light in this world. Are we a people who can face the darkness and stare into the abyss and absorb the blows of this present darkness and come through intact? Can we express sadness and rage and loss as an alternative to denial that inevitably breeds brutality? Do you hear that? that what we tend to do, if we only read the nice psalms, 
beside the streams of still water and lifting up our eyes to the hills. We don't deal with reality. And that's what this psalm does for us. It calls us to reality. And it calls us to not deny the reality of our world. We can express all of this. We can be voices of holiness that counters the trivial, commodity-centered world. We can practice disciplines that make communion and community possible. We can be voices of imaginative, neighborly transformation focused on those in need. We can express new social possibilities rooted in the truth of God's good news. We can repent, we can awaken and realize that the moral of the story is that Caesar's empire is impatient for power, built on theft, enslavement, death, and defilement. But God's kingdom is that of patience, healing, established in the giftedness and generosity of creation. Before us is a choice between succumbing to a fearful self-preoccupation that shrivels our spirits and doesn't allow us to escape from this pain of the world and move toward renewal and salvation. The truth is, honest God, the truth is, we all live in darkness because of the things we've done and left undone and the things that have been done to us. But we can take an active participatory relationship with you. We can't escape the darkness, but we must pass through it to come out into the light. And that begins with reorientation and repentance. And in this way, darkness becomes a threshold to a better future. Those who sang these words long ago confessed, yeah, that's me. And we, the people of God, still read it and pray it and sing it and say, yes, that's us too. God invites us to see this present darkness as the threshold the invitation to become something more. And all you have to do is look for it. Yesterday, as I watched the news, and I don't know why I keep watching it, except for this, it showed a, a very bad video, phone video. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like landscape or, you know, and it was shaky and and it showed a soldier, and he was playing the violin. And it shot over his shoulder in, into the crowd that was there, and it was all soldiers. And he began to play. And he began to play the Ukrainian anthem. And it was beautiful. And as he played, all of them stood. If you want to see how we move through this psalm and these stories into new light, you just have to watch for it. Because the people, 
of Ukraine are showing us how. Honest to God. Honest to God in life, in death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.